Hey everybody, Lewis here from Status Coup. Today is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023. Uh, today's a big day for the GOP primary. It is the eve of the first debate. Uh, there will be eight candidates on stage. Uh, one of those people on the stage is not going to be Donald Trump, which will be interesting. Uh, we're gonna get into all of the different candidates uh, who are gonna be on the stage tonight. Uh, particularly some of the front runners at this point in time, obviously Donald Trump being the primary front runner, averaging somewhere around 55% in most polls at this point, even in the average of polls. Uh, we'll get into some stuff on uh, the latest on Ron DeSantis, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's been surging recently, Chris Christie, uh, some of the others who, frankly, I had not even heard of uh, going into some of this. Um, so we're definitely going to go through and break all of that down. Uh, after we go through all of that, uh, we're also going to do a little bit of a breakdown of my latest trip in East Palestine, Ohio. We're going to go through a couple of those interviews, uh, and I'll give you a little bit of insight into some of what I am digging into at this point, because frankly, six and a half months later, after the trip that I was on last week, which was only possible because of our status quo members, so thank you so much to those of you who are members. If you want to get on board and help us out to make sure that trips like that continue to be possible, statusq.com slash join is the place to do so. So thank you to our current members who are able to send me back for the fourth time for another week of reporting in East Palestine. But frankly, it was, it was frustrating to just hear from residents who six months later, six and a half months later, still battling with Norfolk Southern, still battling with the EPA, still not getting the answers to whether or not the basics like, are, is my home contaminated? Getting that question answered. Uh, being able to relocate permanently if they'd want to. It was really frustrating. Um, we'll go through and break down some of those clips uh, after we get through uh, some of the latest on the primary debate going on tonight. So uh, without further ado, Colin, we can go ahead and pull up the graphic from Fox News where the debate will be hosted tonight. Uh, eight candidates on the stage. Uh, let's see. We've got in the center stage, uh, we have uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, who of the candidates who are participating is polling the highest um, however, his poll numbers have been dwindling. Uh, center stage as well, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is, uh, you know, may maybe you haven't heard of him unless you're very online. Uh, he is a kind of tech, uh, not tech, but businessman. Uh, he's an author. Uh, he's been kind of rising in the polls as of recently. Um, and he's actually out polling at this point several sitting and former governors and senators, which is pretty wild, including the former Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, so we're going to kind of get into the details of some of these folks who will be on the stage tonight. That debate is at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News. Uh, interestingly, also, if you don't have cable, uh, you won't be able to watch it on YouTube like we're used to for some of these debates. Uh, you're going to actually have to go watch it on Rumble, which I think is probably a first. Um, I've never even really used Rumble before, and I'm definitely going to tune in to check it out, even though that is not my politics necessarily to, to do. It is uh, interesting to watch a debate nonetheless. Um, but the big news here is that the clear and away frontrunner in this whole debate, Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, is not participating in the debate at all. Uh, that is obviously the big news here. Again, he's polling roughly around five, 55% uh, in the average of polls. Uh, that is way, way, way above where we're seeing you know, DeSantis at, which is roughly anywhere between like 14, 15%. Um, even if you add all of the other candidates polling together in the national polls right now, Donald Trump is far and away the, the leader, the front runner in this right now. Now, whether or not he makes it to the, you know, actual primary elections, 
not in jail is a whole other question. I don't, I'm not even going to speculate at this point. Uh, a lot of folks think that he's probably going to. I'm in, under the opinion that Donald Trump is going to find his way out of whatever he ends up in. Just I don't know why or how, but it seems to have happened so many times uh, up until this point. Um, this is also kind of the eve of he's supposedly turning himself in for the Georgia indictment at some point tomorrow. Um, but uh, before we get into this article that kind of goes through what Donald Trump is doing tonight instead of going to the debate, please smash the like button to get this out to more folks. Uh, share the stream on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, wherever you're watching this, Facebook, um, to get more folks in here to come watch this. Also, if this is your first time watching, uh, please hit the subscribe button down below. Uh, you will be able to see a whole bunch more content on all the different stories we've been covering, including the latest on my recent trip to East Palestine, Ohio. Without further ado, though, uh, Colin, we can go ahead and pull up that Washington Post article that includes uh, what the plan is for Donald Trump tonight. Uh, headline, Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump reunite to try to upstage Fox News. Last Wednesday, Donald Trump welcomes Tucker Carlson and his small team into a private room at Trump's Bedminster, New Jersey club for an interview. Before the cameras rolled, the former president told former Fox News host that he had the room built by Amish workers years ago, according to two people familiar with the conversation. The surroundings lacked the gilded appearance of many of Trump's properties and their wooded decor matched, matched Carlson's preferred rustic aesthetic. The two men were, talk, were talking at all seemed extraordinary given what had transpired between them. Trump and Carlson are both giant figures on America's political right, their interests and ambitions long intertwined. But in March, a trove of text messages released as part of a lawsuit against Fox revealed Carlson had once confided that he hated Trump passionately and that he couldn't wait until he could ignore Trump most nights. Now, with Trump seeking a third straight Republican nomination for president and Carlson attempting to remake his career off cable television, the two had put aside any lingering animosity to take on Fox News. The result will post on X, formerly known as Twitter, on Wednesday night. It will run directly opposite a marquee event for Fox, the first Republican primary debate of the 2024 campaign, which Trump, the GOP frontrunner, is conspicuously skipping. This account of how the sit-down between Trump and Carlson came to be is based on interviews with half a dozen current and former Fox News employees and Trump advisors who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss the relationship between the two men. Um, we're going to, uh, you know, talk a little bit further about this in a second here. Um, but actually, just before we came on live here, uh, Tucker Carlson actually put out a little bit of a preview uh, of this uh, event that's going to be starting literally five minutes um, before the Republican debate. Uh, Colin, we can go ahead and, and play that, that clip. On Sunday, Donald Trump announced that he will not participate in tonight's Republican candidates debate hosted by Fox News in Milwaukee. Whatever you think of Trump, he is, as of tonight, the indisputable far and away frontrunner in the Republican race. We think voters have an interest in hearing what he thinks. So when Trump approached us about having a conversation for a far larger audience than he'd receive on cable news, we happily accepted. That interview will air tonight in this space at 8.55. We hope you'll watch. So there's that uh, 8.55 tonight online. Um, I gotta say, again, not, not my politics at all here, but pretty uh, hilarious jab at, at Fox News uh, and at the you know mainstream GOP in general from both Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson here. Obviously, Tucker Carlson having been let go from the network a couple months back, uh, you know, Pretty funny blow to be able to to pull that off. Um, 
I will say as well, uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to highlight this one comment that I just saw here in the chat. Uh, for anybody who is watching the debate tonight, uh, Michael had a pretty good idea. This could be a fun uh, fun way to watch the debate tonight. By the way, anyone doing the drinking game, I suggest the word woke. Um, I'm sure there will be no shortage of that word during the debate tonight. Thanks, Michael, for that comment. That was pretty funny. I uh, just, just caught it there. Um, yeah, that could be an interesting way to uh, spice up the debate tonight. Um, personally, I love watching these debates, even if I don't necessarily agree with the candidates on stage. It's fun to see them all duke it out. But um, unfortunately, you know, I, I said that it's a pretty funny, you know, f pretty good own by Trump and, and Carlson here for doing this on their own. I would much rather, for the sake of Republican voters, have the front runner you know, be tested by all of the people running against him, just like I would love to see President Biden go ahead and debate RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson. Not holding my breath, especially on the Biden and Marianne Williamson and, and RFK debate. No way in hell that the NC is going to let that happen. Uh, down the line, we could see Trump eventually get into some of these debates. Uh, this isn't the first debate that he skipped. If you remember back in 2016, I believe it might have been 2015 during the primary there, uh, he was uh, ended up skipping uh, at least one of those debates um, and then later on in the race deciding to jump back in. So, um, you know, uh, would love to see Trump in the debate tonight. Would love to see the Democrats actually hold a real primary process, but uh, that is likely not going to happen. So without further ado, let's get into a little bit more on the candidates actually participating in the debates tonight. We're not going to get into all of them, but we'll get into a couple here. Uh, and we'll start off with the second place uh, person right now, who is Ron DeSantis, uh, first, who will be on stage tonight. Um, an interesting thing happened to the DeSantis camp uh, in the last week or so. Um, so <clears throat> right now, DeSantis' campaign, um, you know, they've got their own fundraising operation, but a big criticism of him right now is that he's essentially a super PAC candidate. Uh, this dude's got millions and millions of dollars rolling into super PACs, and uh, at this point, uh, the super PACs are having more resources than his campaign really do and putting together information on, you know, talking with consultants, focus groups, and helping prepare for the debate. However, with the rules between super PACs and campaigns, you can't just like send information from the super PAC directly to the campaign. So in some weird system here, the DeSantis campaign was like posting these things, sorry, the DeSantis Super PAC was posting these, these debate prep materials online uh, in hopes that the right people in the DeSantis campaign would find them. Long story short, it got out there. The New York Times uh, found them, did a story about it. Um, Colin, we can go ahead and pull up the uh, the actual DeSantis PAC memo uh, that went out. This is kind of embarrassing if you're the DeSantis team. I'll be curious if he actually takes any of this information tonight, but I actually want to go through some of it. Uh, so this is essentially debate prep materials for the debate tonight uh, prepared for Ron DeSantis. Again, he might need to you know, sw switch this up at this point, but uh, there are four basic must-dos. Number one, attack Joe Biden and the media three to five times. Uh, state Governor Ron DeSantis positive vision two to three times. Hammer Vivek Ramaswamy in a response. Defend Donald Trump in absentia in response to a Chris Christie attack. So they're getting ready for Chris Christie, who has been very vocal against Donald Trump at this point. Um, although we'll get into later, he's flip-flopped on this pretty good. Um, so th they're also clearly worried about Vivek Ramaswamy, who in some polls is actually tied with or, or maybe even beating uh, Ron DeSantis in some of these national polls. Um, 
couple other interesting things here. Uh, when Governor Ron DeSantis' name is invoked and he is given a chance to respond, there are two approaches. One, there is a core attack on, on Governor Ron DeSantis' central candidacy, calling him a liberal. I don't think that one's going to happen. Calling him a liberal, uh, hitting veteran record, hitting conservative record. Uh, he should take the time, correct the record, and highlight the positive slash dismiss the attacker if it's a tier one candidate. Uh, he can also pivot to hitting Joe Biden when possible. But if it's not a core attack and his name is invoked, he should take the response opportunity to pivot and take up time. He should ignore the weak attack and not even address it. Um, uh, he, instead, he should he should pivot the message and vision and name check all Iowa, New Hampshire, et cetera, voters directly. Uh, later on, down below, the, the, the there's literally a, a take a sledgehammer to Vivek Ramaswamy. Call him, quote, fake Vivek or Vivek the fake. I mean, this is clearly almost like trying to just mimic Donald Trump here. Donald Trump can do nicknames. Uh, his nicknames would probably be better than that. Um, we'll see if if uh, DeSantis, I almost just, speaking of, of Donald Trump being good with the nicknames, I almost called him DeSanctimonious or whatever. But uh, yeah, uh, pretty weak. Um, there was one other point further down here. Obviously, we've heard plenty about how awkward Ron DeSantis has been on the camp campaign trail so far. Uh, he's obviously been in several gaffes. We're going to get into one of them in a little bit here. Um, but in, in this, to try to make him feel more of a, you know, a relatable person, less awkward, uh, it says, invoke a personal anecdote story about family, kids, Casey, who is his wife, showing emotion. The fact that they even need to tell this man to show emotion is wild. Some of these skills that Ron DeSantis is lacking right now, those are not skills that you can just like, oh, like, be more emotional. Like, those things are, are you're either that, you're either charismatic and can talk to people on the whim and just like, you know, walk into a, a restaurant or a cafe and like strike up, uh, strike up a conversation with someone, or you can't. And so far, it's looked like Ron DeSantis uh, cannot do these sorts of things. Um, we will see if that playbook right there is what, Ron DeSantis ends up doing, I'm sure he's going to have to drop some of that at least. If he says fake Vivek or, uh, and, and again, it's not even pronounced that. It doesn't rhyme. It's Vivek. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see if, if he decides to stick with that strategy or not. Um, definitely a bit interesting. Um, another fun article that came out uh, in the last couple days here about Ron DeSantis. And again, for those of you just joining us right now, please smash the like button down below to help get this out to more folks. Uh, we would super appreciate it. Also, if you've got thoughts on any of this and you want me to read your comment for sure at the end, Super Chats are absolutely welcome. I will read all of the Super Chats at the end of the show. Uh, and last but not least, I'll also shout out any new members at the end of the, end of the show. Little as 5 to 10 bucks a month. Statuscoo.com slash join. You can even become a YouTube member right down below. Uh, let's get into this article here, though. Uh, awkward Americans resonating with DeSantis, seemingly. Uh, the headline, uh, Awkward Americans See Themselves in Ron DeSantis. Uh, after watching awkward videos of Ron DeSantis, Derek Guy had a horrifying realization. Guy, a fashion writer known as the menswear guy to his following on social media, had noticed people on X, formerly known as Twitter, making fun of the Florida governor and Republican presidential hopeful for throwing off weird vibes on the campaign trail. Some of these moments have been captured on video, as things tend to be during a presidential campaign. DeSantis struggling to make small talk with voters, bursting into strange paroxysms of wide-mouth laughter, appearing to sugar-shame a child for drinking an icy at an Iowa fair. What's your name, DeSantis asked a voter in a recent clip from New Hampshire Diner. 
Tim, the man responds, okay, says DeSantis. Uh, we actually have that clip. Can we watch that one, Colin, and then we'll, we'll come back to the article here. How are you doing? Good, sir. Wow, look at this. You guys been, hi, how are you guys? Good to see you. So what do you got? Go right over here? Okay, good deal, good deal. Wow, crowded, huh? Good, hey, how are you doing? It smells really good, I'll tell you that. So we'll do it, okay. How you doing? Good. What's your name? I'm Tim Hampton. Okay. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's great to be up in New Hampshire. Oh, how are you? How are you guys doing? Stay tuned. I mean, uh, that's just. That's not how you walk into a, a bar or restaurant and then also just like interviewing or talking with this guy. Oh, how's your name? Or what's your name? Getting the name. Okay. And then totally like disregarding the person and trying to move on. Um, spend the time. Talk to the person. You got all day. You know, you're doing these campaign stops. Uh, you know you're on camera. Jeez. Like if, if you can't interact like that, don't put yourself in that situation. Just don't do it. Um, I did just see a, a, a comment here. Um, ba ba ba. Robbie says, I've been a member for a year. Holy crap. Uh, Robbie, thanks so much for being a member. We really appreciate that. Um, thank you for helping to support the reporting that we've been doing uh, to talk about stuff like this, but also to cover, frankly, what I think is some of the more important stories, such as what's going on in East Palestine, Flint, Michigan, uh, Kalamazoo, uh, the, the big strikes that are potentially happening across the country. Um, you enable us to do that. All right. Um, the uh, bah, bah, bah. We, we won't go through any more of that article there. It's, it's just more of these kind of gaffes that Ron DeSantis continues to have. Uh, if you want to see more of them, they're not hard to find. Uh, but this is definitely going to be a, an interesting thing for him. I feel like the bar for the debate tonight for Ron DeSantis at one point was way up high. And over the last couple weeks, as we've seen DeSantis come down in the polls, uh, pretty significantly, I'm pretty sure at one point, and we'll, we'll get into some of the polling data a little bit later, at one point DeSantis was somewhere around 25-30% in the polls, and now he's more like 15% in the polls, essentially seeing his numbers cut in half. Um, I think the bar for DeSantis tonight has already been now set pretty low, uh, so unless we see DeSantis have a really awkward moment at the debate tonight or just have a really poor performance, um, I think if he does okay, it might come off as a bit of a victory for him uh, just because folks are expecting so little from him at this point in time. Um, I do think we're going to see some awkward canned lines from him. I don't think that he can, uh, as we just saw, really be very on the fly for some of these moments. I think he's going to need to debate like a Kamala Harris might debate with her canned line of that little girl on the bus was me when she attacked, you know, President Joe Biden. And, you know, those things can work for a little bit, right? When when Kamala Harris had that line, she did boost in the polls initially afterwards, but that was short-lived. Obviously, Kamala Harris had to drop out uh, before the Iowa caucuses even. Um, Andrew Yang was polling higher than her in her own home state of California. Um, those are not things that candidates who are going to succeed are ultimately going to end up doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are the thoughts so far on Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, We'll see how he does tonight. Uh, if I'm him, I'd be pretty nervous because uh, the next candidate that I'm going to talk about is, you know, I, I disagree with him on most things, um, but he is an extremely effective communicator. Um, right now I'm talking about Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, he's kind of come out of nowhere if you're not like deep into kind of conservative figures. Um, funny enough, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was actually brought to my attention probably like two years ago. 
Um, I've mentioned here a little bit, my father is a two-time Trump voter, more of a conservative guy. Um, we have a f fine relationship and everything, but uh, he read Vivek's book, Woke Inc., way back when, a couple of years ago. Um, and at the time, to credit my dad, it was like, oh, this guy will probably run for, you know, get into politics at some point. Anyway, uh, at this point, um, you know, his polling numbers are, you know, essentially climbed from zero up to being competitive with Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, Colin, we can go ahead and pull up the Fox polling here that shows where Vivek has gone from June to August at this point. Um, and we can see here, uh, back in in June 2023, Vivek Ramaswamy at 5%, now at 11%. Um, and, and you can compare here Ron DeSantis going from 22% down to 16. Uh, obviously, their numbers are extremely dwarfed in comparison to Donald Trump's. Uh, these folks are running for second place at this point. Um, they're running in case something happens with Donald Trump, whether that be jail, whether that be health concerns, whether that be him needing to, you know, come to some sort of settlement and agree he's not going to run for president to get rid of charges. Or ha I don't know how that's going to necessarily work, but. Uh, at this point, unless Donald Trump gets run over or something, uh, these guys have no chance in hell. These guys and gals, Nikki Haley, also uh, running at this point. But um, that's a significant bump for Vivek Ramaswamy, though. Again, he's never held political office before. Uh, he's a, a political outsider. Um, we'll see where he ends up going. However, there have been some mounting attacks against him at this point. Um, we can go ahead and uh, and pull up the Washington Post article here uh, that talk about some of these attacks against Ramaswamy at this point. Uh, headline, newcomer Vivek Ramaswamy is taking flack ahead of Republican debate. Uh, on the eve of the first Republican presidential debate, Vivek Ramaswamy sought to play up his image as an unconventional candidate who has eschewed the usual preparations for Wednesday's showdown. Three hours of solid debate prep this morning, he posted on social media. On Monday, along with a video of himself playing tennis shirtless. On Tuesday, he posted a video showing him working out with his wife while listening to T.I.'s Bring Him Out. The caption, quote, more debate prep this morning with my favorite sparring partner. The Washington Post this week obtained a previously unreported photo of what appeared to be a much more traditional pre-debate moment. Ramaswamy in a suit standing at a lectern flanked by Deputy Communications Director Stefan, I'm going to mess up that name, and Anson Frerichs the co-founder of his investment firm, both also at lecterns. Microphones could be seen under the chins of all three. When the Post mentioned the photo and asked him about it on Tuesday, Ramaswamy replied that he, quote, reluctantly tried it recently, speaking of traditional mock debate preparations, but it wasn't a good fit for me. His campaign spokesperson, Tricia McLaughlin, acknowledged that Ramaswamy has experimented with some debate prep, adding that his real prep was meeting with voters and holding a large number of campaign events. She had pre previously told the Post that Ramaswamy was not doing traditional debate prep sessions. The dichotomy underscored the political newcomer's sometimes contradictory image and statements, which are expected to be a target of criticism Wednesday night from GOP rivals, who have also signaled plans to attack some of his provocative policy positions. His opponents are increasingly calling him out for inconsistencies on his comments, such as masking during the pandemic, and when he first voted for his polarizing arguments about potentially phasing out U.S. financial aid to Israel after 2028, and for ideas he floated about the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks that have been embraced by conspiracy theorists. Ramaswamy is a first-time candidate who has centered his campaign on effective policy proposals and his status as a political outsider effectively running as the next iteration of Trump. 
At 38, the tech entrepreneur and son of Indian immigrants who earned a fortune in biotech and pharmaceuticals will be the youngest candidate on stage and the only one who has not served in elected office. Increasingly, some of his rivals consider him a threat because of the warm response he is getting from GOP voters and the uptick in his support in some polls. Whether, though whether or he holds up under the pressure, that is an open question, some Republicans said. I will go just a little bit further here. Usually when people who have never run for office before or who have no familiarity with a campaign can get the pressure turned up on them, the spotlight turned on them, they fade because they know what they're doing. So we'll see, Mr. Ramaswamy is having a moment, but I'd be absolutely stunned if he ends up as the Republican nominee, said Whit Ayers, a Republican pollster. <clears throat> um, well, uh, th there's a bit more in here. Uh, I'm going to skip down a little bit. This week, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, who will also be on stage, uh, took aim at Ramaswamy, accusing her Republican primary opponent of wanting to end America's special bond with Israel. Uh, Haley was referring, uh, re referencing an interview Ramaswamy did with Russell Brand last week, which he suggested he would use the international diplomacy and new agreements with other nations in the Middle East to try to broker greater peace and stability in the region. He said his aim was to get Israel on its own feet, and his hope was that through those negotiations, additional aid to Israel wouldn't be necessary. Um, it gets into a, a couple different things here. Obviously, there are some differing stances there, especially in the GOP uh, on Israel there. That's not mainstream uh, GOP you know, talking points on Israel at all. Um, I would be surprised if we don't see some sort of attack on that tonight. Um, you know, uh, Ramaswamy and several other actual uh, Republican candidates at this point are also floating some wild ideas about uh, dealing with uh, the cartels and like drugs coming across the border, literally floating the idea of sending the U.S. military in to fight uh, the cartels like we would be fighting ISIS or something in the Middle East. Um, obviously, I mean, to me, that's a major red flag. You don't want to be sending troops into a neighboring company, a country potentially without their permission to do this. That's uh, wild, frankly. Um, but uh, anyway, um, you know, that's uh, the, the beginning of some criticisms uh, against Vivek Ramaswamy. Again, he's kind of unproven at this point, but... I will say, again, he is a very smooth talker. He's a very effective communicator. I don't have to agree with his politics to say that. Uh, just like, you know, um, uh, many people on the right will admit that uh, Barack Obama was probably the most effective communicator as far as a president goes um, of, you know, my lifetime for sure, but, but many others as well. Um, just to show some of how Vivek's been able to deal with tough questions, tough interviews, and and he has done many. I mean, this guy's been on uh, dozens of podcasts. He'll go on whatever news show. Uh, he did a fairly long sit down with Crystal and Sager on breaking points. And, and he and Crystal sparred on a couple different things. And I mean, I, I disagreed with what he was pointing out, but it was a, uh, uh, we'll, we'll call it an interesting conversation. And there was intelligent points being made. I can't say that about politicians uh frankly any politicians at this point in time so uh let's take a look at a recent clip of of uh, vivek ramaswamy on cnn uh with a, a bit of a tense moment here in the atlantic that you gave an interview to you said quote i think it is legitimate to say how many police how many federal agents were on the planes that hit the twin towers maybe the answer is zero it probably is zero for all i know right I have no reason to think it was anything other than zero, but if we're doing a comprehensive assessment of what happened on 9-11, we have a 9-11 commission, absolutely there should be an answer the public knows the answer to. Explain to me what you meant there. 
This is really, it's funny. I mean, the Atlantic is playing the same game as CNN. It's funny. What I said is on January 6th, I do believe that there were many federal agents in the field and we deserve to know who they are. On 9-11, what I've said is that the government lied. And this is incontrovertible evidence, Caitlin. The government lied about Saudi Arabia's involvement. There was a Saudi spy named Al-Bayoumi who they lied and the government lied and the 9-11 commission lied. We know that because declassified reports in 2021 Which revealed that Al-Bayoumi was indeed. What's that? Yeah, the report that the President Biden declassified. Yes. But your quote here, are you telling me that the quote is wrong 20 years later, here? yeah. But are you telling me that I'm your quote, you quote is wrong, wrong here because actually. it says how many federal actually, agents were on I, the planes I actually in asked, the Twin Towers? <laughs> yeah, when I, when I actually, and this is just lifting the curtain on how media works again, I asked that reporter to send the recording because it was on the record. He refused to do it. But we had a free-flowing conversation the truth is there are lies the government has told about 9-11, but it's not the ones that somebody put in my mouth. It's the one that I articulated, which is that Saudi Arabia, absolutely, their intelligence was involved in 9-11. And that's a difficult thing you're not supposed to say. The facts back that up. Separately, as it relates to January 6th, same story all over again. There were federal agents in the field. I think they've lied about how many there were. And we, the people, deserve the truth, okay, despite the, the layers thing, of distortion that you, exist in the media to prevent us from getting you're it. You're saying that you were misquoted here. So we will take your word. Yes. You're saying you're, that you were misquoted here. But yeah. you were asked another time recently about whether or not 9-11 was an inside job. This is what your response was. 9-11, inside job, or uh, exactly how the government tells us? I don't believe the government has told us the truth. Again, I'm driven by evidence and data. What I've seen in the last several years is we have to be skeptical of what the government does tell us. I haven't seen evidence to the contrary, but do I believe everything the government told us about it? Absolutely not. Do I, I two questions. the 9-11 Commission? Absolutely not. I mean, Vic, I think people look at those comments. They look at what you said in the Atlantic, which you say you were misquoted. They look at comments that you've made about the Federal Reserve adding zeros to media companies' bank accounts. And, I mean, it looks like you're floating conspiracy theories with this defense of, I'm just asking questions. Well, when you actually quote me, those are my words, and I stand by them. So somebody else quoting me, putting words in my mouth, I have a problem with. But those words I stand by. You want to know why? Because we literally know the FBI, the 9-11 Commission, the U.S. government on down told us specifically that Saudi Arabia had no involvement. 20-plus years later, quietly declassifying documents, showing that not only did Saudi Arabia have involvement, it was a Saudi intelligence agent that received two of those terrorists that crashed planes on 9-11, killing Americans But the Americans question was, is 9-11 an soil. inside job? And, and you didn't say about. no. Caitlin, <laughs> you just play, Caitlin, you Caitlin, you, you know what's really funny? You literally just played that, and you could play it for your audience again. He said, or do you believe everything the government has told us? And my answer was, I do not believe everything the government has told us but you see because the they point, lied. The point is and that I know this game comes open. up, Caitlin, it, every time there's game, an outsider who comes in. It leaves the door open, Vivek. <laughs> it leaves the door open, and someone who's Caitlin, a 9-11 truther looks at that and that says, that's exactly lies. what I believe. You that think the government's a, lying a, about... All right, that's, uh, that's all good, Colin. Um, I mean, it's uh, that was handling that situation very smoothly on on that part again that's not what he's uh, running on i'm seeing a couple comments on this on this coming in uh there are you know he handled that in a way that you would have not seen even donald trump handle that situation in the media if other can candidates if ron DeSantis was asked about that he would have freaked out and gotten mad instead he explained the point you know, talked about the the recently declassified documents. Uh, as, as far as the things on 9-11 that he's talking about there, the, those documents were released by the Biden, Biden administration this year. Um, it's, uh, it's 
not crazy to say that, you know, I don't believe everything that the United States government is saying. I'm sure many of you do not. Uh, if you watch this program, there's all sorts of things that come out. But uh, to be able to handle that situation in that way, to be able to be an effective communicator dealing with all of these interviews and whatnot, I think that as far as the debate goes tonight, uh, we are going to see Vivek Ramaswamy having no problem dealing with uh, different attacks coming at him from wherever they may be. Uh, in my opinion, he's probably one of the uh, better orators who will be on that stage who can think quickly on his feet and to deal with this sort of thing. Um, he, you know, at, at some point, though, uh, Colin, I'm going to skip the tweet that's coming up here, but uh, uh, one area that he may be uh, trying way too hard in um, is he's he's having his own kind of like online moments that he's like really trying uh, to put out there. So uh, there's a, a clip here, a video uh, the, of Vivek Ramaswamy actually uh, rapping Eminem at one of the Iowa State Fairs. Uh, Colin, we can go ahead and pull up, pull that clip. Alrighty, that's enough. That's uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> trying too hard a little bit. I think so. Uh, you know, he's also in that Washington Post article. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he talks about doing his debate prep and posting up videos of him playing tennis shirtless and uh, doing push-ups and stuff with his wife. Um, the man is trying very, very hard. I mean, as you have to do with a candidate uh, if you're running for office here, um, but it might be too much. I mean, <clears throat> I can't imagine that uh, rapping Eminem in Iowa is going to land in Iowa. I don't know. Uh, you you tell me. If anyone in Iowa is watching, does that land for you? Does that help? I don't know. Um, I We'll see. Um, uh, general thoughts on him at this point, though, as far as the debate goes, as far as where his candidacy is at this point. Um, again, I think he's probably going to do really well at the debate. However, the bar is set really high for him. Uh, the poll has been the polls have been going in his favor. Unlike DeSantis right now, where the bar the bar is fairly low for his debate performance, uh, Vivek's kind of have the opposite op the opposite problem, um, where the bar is really high. Uh, so he needs to deliver. Um, we'll see if that happens. I'm getting a lot of, frankly, like Andrew Yang vibes. Obviously, not in the form of politics, but as far as the uh, online nature of his candidacy. Um, in a little bit, we're going to get into some of the polls, and, and I'll get a little bit more into the nitty-gritty of this, but Andrew Yang obviously did really well online, <clears throat> became kind of like uh, huge on Twitter and Facebook and all these sorts of people, um, and it's uh, it's it's giving me very similar vibes. Uh, got a lot of attention in national polls, but when it gets to the state polls and the state elections, it never really panned out for Andrew Yang, um, and we're seeing some of that in early polls so far. Uh, with Ramaswamy. Um, we'll get into those polls in just a second. But first, we're going to move on now to Governor Chris Christie from the state of New Jersey. Um, th this one's going to be a little bit shorter because Christie has even less of a chance than the last two. Again, former President Trump is as at 56% in the polls at this point. 56% in the polls. Uh, he's not even participating in the debate tonight, which again, 
not great for democracy, whatnot, if you think about it. Uh, voters in early states really should be hearing from him uh, and speaking with these folks. So um, uh, we're going to definitely see attacks from Chris Christie at Trump. Every interview Chris Christie has done so far has been that he is running as the anti-Trump candidate. Um, so many of these other candidates have had the hardest time in the world trying to criticize President Trump. Uh, Ron DeSantis even is barely taking digs at Trump in his little leaked memo that we went over just a little bit ago. Uh, it's talking about how you're going to come to his defense at some point throughout the debate. Uh, Ramaswamy is running as like, you know, young Trump, if you will. Uh, so many of these, uh, Nikki Haley, when she launched her campaign, was asked about him and she had that whole, um, I'm not going to kick sideways. I'm going to kick forward and, and, you know, not kicking towards uh, the people she's running against, but kicking, you know, towards uh, the Joe Biden who she's running against. I'm sorry, but Nikki Haley is, is frankly, she doesn't really have a chance here. Um, you need to kick sideways using her own terminology if you're going to be able to, uh, to even have a remote possibility of running against Joe Biden. Um, we'll see. But uh, the tough thing for Christie that he's going to run into here, though, is Christie was not only an avid supporter of President Trump eventually uh, once we got there in 2016, but once again in 2020. Uh, Colin, we can go ahead and play the clip here, and you'll see just how far Chris Christie has come uh, over the last uh, couple of years here as far as his relationship with Donald Trump. Uh, might not be what we're going to see on the stage tonight. Donald Trump made us smaller by dividing us even further and pitting one group against another. The line of supporting Donald Trump starts behind me. Um, I was the first elected official in America to endorse him in 2016, prepped him for those debates, prepped him in 2020 for the debates. It ain't funny anymore. It's not amusing anymore. It's not entertaining anymore. It is the last throes of a bitter, angry man who wants power back for himself. Not for you. I'm here tonight, not only as the governor of New Jersey, but also as Donald Trump's friend for the last 14 years. Like Voldemort. <laughs> he is he who shall not be named. Not only a strong leader, but by a caring, genuine, and decent person. A lonely, self-consumed, self-serving, Mirror hog is not a leader. How do you grade Trump as president? Oh, listen, overall, I give the president an A. That was pretty fun to watch. Um, I mean, the couple things that Christie has going for him here is that, again, uh, similar to, to Ramaswamy, he is a good communicator, uh, former prosecutor. Uh, this guy is actually really good with the soft skills as far as talking with people. You'll see, you know, at the town halls, he's really good interacting with folks, uh, you know, doing the handshaking in Iowa and New Hampshire, going into the small restaurants and diners and whatnot. Uh, he can do that sort of like retail politics really well, unlike DeSantis is able to do. Um, uh, he also, you know, has this good, uh, he can put on the, the, the act, the good act of, tough guy from New Jersey, wants to take on Trump, and he's going to try really hard to have those moments tonight. Um, some of you may remember, I don't have the clip here, but during the uh, Republican primaries back in 2016, 
uh, he had the moment where he really, uh, uh, Marco Rubio was really surging at the time, and they had the moment where he, they really took Rubio down, essentially, uh, for, for having the canned lines ready to go, and um, he basically kind of not ended his candidacy, but uh, from that point on, Rubio was, was all downhill. Um, so, you know, are we going to see Christie make any huge moves tonight? Probably not. But he may be able to like work his way into getting more speaking time, which is really important in these debates. Uh, he's going to be the only one who will criticize Trump. Other people might try to step in to defend Trump. Um, and in doing that, you know, depending on how the rules are set up, um, if someone you know responds to you or whatnot, you will get to reply back. Um, so we'll see if if he ends up uh, getting that extra time. Uh, polling wise, though, I mean nationally. Christie is looking pretty rough, um, but it gets interesting when you look into some of the state polls, and um, we're going to kind of transition here uh, into polling in just a second. I'm just going to lightly talk about some of the other candidates running here. So obviously we have Vice President Mike Pence. I mean, he's polling in single digits at this point, um, and uh, the, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got the evangelicals essentially. Um, that's all he can really angle for, but that's tricky in a Republican primary when everybody is kind of going to try to steal at that group quite a bit. Um, you also have Nikki Haley, who we talked about. We'll see tonight, um, if, if she's able to perform well at the debate, but again, she's not willing to criticize Trump. She wants to kick forward, not sideways. Um, again, she's polling in the single digits. Uh, Tim Scott is somebody who I actually personally don't know a whole lot about, um, however, he is very popular amongst the kind of uh, Republican elites, the donor class. He's doing well on fundraising. Uh, we'll see if he makes a splash tonight. Um, I really, though, don't think that we're going to see any big moves from those folks, and let alone Asa Hutchinson and um, Doug Burgum. I mean, uh, we'll see. I mean, they're going to try really hard, um, but we'll see if they, they get anywhere. But looking at the polls here, uh, these are the national uh polls i believe at the top we've got the uh, real clear politics average of polls you've got trump at 55.4 percent desantis at 14.3 ramaswamy at seven pence at four haley three scott three christy three and then the others all below uh a percent um you know when you look at individual polls uh ramaswamy is is trending in the right direction but still seven percent is is not nearly enough uh desantis at 14 percent trending downwards again not nearly enough. And when you've got Trump sitting at 55, I mean, even if everybody drops out except for one of these people and they all somehow culminate support and some of those folks don't go to Trump, I mean, it's still Trump in a landslide. Uh, so that's definitely an issue. But it gets interesting when you actually break into uh, some of the the state-by-state -state data, especially for the early states. So, Colin, we can flip over to Iowa. Um, and this is when things start to get a little bit more interesting. So uh, Iowa. Uh, you've got Trump below that 50% threshold by quite a bit at 43%. Uh, DeSantis 17, Tim Scott at 10, which again, you know, uh, like I said, I, I don't, I don't know tons about Tim Scott, but this is a pretty high polling average for him above Ramaswamy in this one, who's only at 5%. Like I mentioned, uh, <clears throat> Ramaswamy doing better in the national polls, but in the early states where it actually matters, you know, the uh, polling within the margin of, of error of like 1% here. Uh, you know, 5%, he's pulling the same as Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Chris Christie. Um, and uh, when we flip over to New Hampshire, um, <clears throat> we see a similar thing here where Trump is again below that 50% threshold. He's at 44%. You've got DeSantis at 
only 13. You've now got Chris Christie here, though, at 8%. Uh, Tim Scott at almost 8%. Ramaswamy at 6%. So when you look at these these early states, uh, and, and I will look at one more, actually, South Carolina. <clears throat> excuse me, South Carolina. Uh, in South Carolina here, you've got Trump again below that 50% threshold at 45. DeSantis at 15. Tim Scott at 11. Nikki Haley in this one, up to 10. Uh, and uh, Chris Christie at 4. So... In all three of these early states, these states where it really matters in the beginning, because frankly, the national polls are fun to look at, right? But they don't mean shit. The national polls don't mean anything in this election cycle as it works today. Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada are what matters. And I would have shown Nevada, but there were only a handful of polls, so it wasn't really enough information. In the national polls, yes, Donald Trump has 56% of the vote. Uh, and everybody else below. Uh, when you look at that, there's no way in hell that there's a challenger. If this was a national primary, one day, everybody votes, no electoral college. But in these early states, and I mean, let's be real. I mean, it's 99% going to be Trump. But in these early states, there is a potential for a scenario where you see all of the candidates except for one drop out, you know, fall in line, get behind this one person, and have a real shot at trying to knock down uh, a former President Trump. I'm not putting my money in that camp at all, but the possibility is there. Uh, we saw the Democrats successfully pull that off with, you know, all of the moderate candidates dropping out all at the same time. You know, essentially, very likely Obama made the phone call. Uh, you know, hey, Pete, drop out. Amy Klobuchar, drop out. All these people drop out uh, so that Biden is now the only moderate left and all of a sudden you end up with you know just biden versus bernie sanders and that's the only reason why biden was able to become president the only reason uh if that never happened then we very likely could have you know we very likely could be looking at a president bernie sanders right now um so we'll see maybe there's some powers in the republican party who can make that happen i'm not gonna hold my breath for that at all i don't think that's gonna happen but the remote possibility is there uh, in these early states, which I hadn't looked too deep into that yet. And then looking at the early state polls today, um, there is a glimmer of hope for some of these folks who don't have the name of Donald Trump in the debate tonight. Um, so uh, that is kind of my my general recap of what, I, not recap because it hasn't happened yet, but my general thoughts on what to kind of look for at the debate tonight. Again, I'm thinking probably a strong performance from Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm thinking probably an awkward performance from Ron DeSantis. Uh, do I think it's going to make much of a difference? Probably not when you don't have the front runner on stage, Donald Trump. Hopefully we'll see President Trump, uh, former President Trump on stage for a future debate. Um, but we'll see. Uh, for those of you watching still right now, please smash the like button to help get this out to more folks. If this is your first time watching, please consider subscribing. Uh, we do a whole lot more than just talking about you know, retail politics like this, elections. Uh, we are one of the only on-the-ground independent outlets that will actually go to see what is happening in the country in so many different places. Uh, I just got back uh, from another trip to East Palestine, Ohio last week. I was on the ground there all week last week with uh, John Farina, uh, and we were there for the fourth time to East Palestine to go continue to listen to residents and find out what is still happening there. Folks are still dealing with gaslighting from the EPA who refuse to test their homes in many cases, to test their soil in many cases, and to do 
a round of real air testing. Uh, there, according to several experts, including one that I'm going to quote right now, who's a Purdue, Purdue University professor uh, who does disaster response, says there has been no indoor, no credible indoor air testing in East Palestine. None since February, since when this happened. People are still getting sick in East Palestine. People, in some cases, if they're lucky, are still living in hotels in East Palestine six months later. Imagine living in a hotel with your kids and your dogs or your cats or whatever for six months. Other people, are, are they've been cut off by, by the Norfolk Southern Assistance Center who's been relocating people, including folks who live like nine, 800 feet away, 900 feet away from the derailment, and they're stuck living in their home while they still get sick, and the EPA won't test their soil. It was an extremely frustrating fourth trip back to East Palestine to just find out that these people have all been just, you know, left in limbo. Nobody's giving them answers. Our federal government hasn't done shit for them, except for in some cases lie and gaslight them in the case of the EPA and the CDC in some cases here. And these folks, you know, who frankly, many of them want to leave, but they can't. Why can't they leave? Because many of these folks don't have a whole bunch of extra cash laying around. The median income in East Palestine, Ohio for an individual is roughly $28,000 a year. Many of these people are fortunate if they own their house, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them have a mortgage on it that they can barely afford as it is. And they can't sell their house in a lot of cases. And if they want to go buy a house somewhere else, they need to get a second mortgage. Well, they don't qualify for a second mortgage. So what are they left to do? In many cases, they're left to eventually have to give up and get sent home to their homes and risk getting sick again. It's disgusting. Um, I'm going to play a couple clips from this past trip, uh, go through them, give you some added context, and also give some extra context into some more digging that I'm looking into at this point. Again, if you haven't seen some of our East Palestine coverage before, please consider subscribing down below. Uh, you can just hit the subscribe button, hit the bell for notifications. We're releasing new interviews still from this trip. We talked to quite a few folks on this trip. Um, for those of you who have seen these before, there's a lot of new resident interviews coming out as well. Um, please uh, consider subscribing and consider, consider becoming a member, statuscoup.com slash join, to make sure that we can continue to tell these stories in places like East Palestine, Flint, Kalamazoo, wherever it may be across the country. Because these stories deserve to be heard. It's disgusting that our federal government, that state governments, that the local government in East Palestine won't do shit about it. And the media is essentially done covering it. It's not sexy anymore to talk about it. All right, uh, Colin, we can go ahead and play the first clip uh, with Candy, um, the first clip from East Palestine. Relocation inevitably, and I hope, you know, I hope that it's not the case, but when the relocation inevitably ends, that's kind of unclear for you still. I guess then you go back home, you sit, you wait, and hope the hell you don't get cancer and die. You know, I'm not worried so much about me. It's my family. My grandkids. Do I want to see them suffer? No, I don't. I... What do you do? You wait. Because they say you wait.
Oh, we can help you with cancer, but we can't help you now? Fuck that. I'm over it. Help us now. That's what our town needs. Pull together and help us. That's what we need. See where it goes. And Candy there talking. I mean, her whole family lives in East Palestine. Her her daughter and grandkids live in East Palestine. Uh, her granddaughter still deals with symptoms. Uh, gets rashes, uh, sore throats. I believe, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, I believe uh, gets sick, throwing up, um, all sorts of issues. Uh, she mentions there specifically uh, the line, we can treat your cancers later. That is literally what the CDC is telling people in East Palestine. They're telling them, we don't know how to remove vinyl chloride from your body, essentially admitting that these people have been and, and are getting contaminated. We don't know how to remove it from you, but we can treat your cancers later. Um, she referred to a very specific clip there that a lot of residents are really frustrated about that this, I mean, they're frustrated about it, but it's the most true thing that they've heard, frankly, for months on this whole thing. This is a, a clip from a CDC uh, town hall that happened in East Palestine. This is a couple months old, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's important to listen to this again. Go ahead, Colin. The problem is that for us to fix exposure, we have to go back in time, and we can't do that. Oh, yeah, no, it can't be. It's not, it's not possible. Back in the tube. Right, exactly. Not possible, not possible. Okay, so then what do we do, okay? Um, what we can do then is first, if you're going to develop any sort of the really scary health effects in the future, cancer, for example, angiosarcoma of the liver, that's a cancer-providing chloride, we want to detect that early. So that's the reason why we're saying go to your doctor so that you can get examined and get the proper test. We know how to treat angiosarcoma. We may not know how to treat, get rid of vinyl chloride from the body, but we know how to treat those cancers. We don't know how to remove vinyl chloride from the body, but we know how to treat those cancers later. Thanks, CDC. Real bang up job. And the EPA, again, that people want another round of testing in East Palestine. Because again, expert after expert after expert has said that the air testing program that happened in East Palestine in February and March was not legit, including a current EPA representative who works on the ground in East Palestine admitting it on video. But now they say that it's fine. No, we don't need to do the air testing again. And they essentially just tell people, "Yep, nope, we don't, we don't know how to we don't know how to get rid of vinyl chloride from your body, but we'll treat the cancers later." That's what the residents in East Palestine are essentially stuck to deal with. Um, really frustrating. Uh, my heart goes out to Candy. I mean, uh, she was staying at the same hotel that we were staying at, and when I walked in the door to the hotel the first night of this last trip, um, I walked in and she was one of the first people I saw. And the first thing I said to her I was like, "Well, like it's great to see you, but..." I really wish that I wasn't seeing you right now. I was really hoping that she had been able to get out and find a better solution. Um, she has not been able to. Uh, she would like to sell her home and, and move, but that option is not available to her presently. Just like it's not for so many others still in East Palestine. Um, we're gonna continue to go through and play a couple clips here. Uh, this is, uh, these next couple are going to be from an event that we covered live last Wednesday. Um, I highly encourage you after you see these to actually go check out that full video because it was a very, very powerful event that was put on by uh, East Palestine residents that night. 
Uh, Colin, we can go ahead and play the clip of Lonnie speaking at that event. I live on East Clark Street. My home is roughly 200 feet from the rail line and 1,800 feet from where the fires were burning, the actual point of derailment. I actually testified at the first Senate hearing for Senator Mastriano. Um, I testified because those chemicals did not stop at that state line. Those chemicals did not stop at a one mile marker that they put on this. My family is also in Pennsylvania and I'm angry that we're living through this right now. And I, I kind of differ, I have a different opinion. Norfolk Southern is negligent for allowing this to happen to us. That train was on fire in Alliance and Sebring. They had time to stop that train. It is criminal negligence what has happened to us and what has taken place in our community, in our surrounding communities. I was home the night it derailed. I heard the sounds in my living room, in my home. Tell me, how are they supposed to make it right for me and for my family being in our home for 30 years next year? How are they supposed to make it right for me and what I've experienced? I am angry. I am very an emotional person and I am not a public speaker. That was the very first statement that came out of my mouth during that Senate hearing. I just can't stand by and not speak out anymore. I am also a business owner in town. I own Mama's Attic. I will be closing my shop because I refuse to stay in a community where we can't take care of our residents first. are not a priority right now. We have to take care of each other first and demand better for us and for these children that are living here. I don't want to know someone a year from now who died from cancer for being exposed to this. I'm begging you. You know who you are right now. I am begging you to do something about this. I know you I know you're able to. I know you're able to do something about this for us. The people that want to stay, give them good information. Give them well-rounded information. Get them health care for life. Get these children health care for life. We should not have to be forced to make these life-changing decisions that we didn't plan on making. Right? Never. I, my family and I, we have resided in our home for 30 years as of next year. I never intended on leaving my home. Never. As of Monday, we have taken out a mortgage that we don't even know how we're gonna pay it. We have no idea how we're going to pay it. We are relocating. I'm getting my son who is 21 years old as far away as I can at the moment. I wish I could do it for everyone else too. Obviously heartbreaking uh, like testimony there from, from Lonnie. Uh, we met Lonnie back on our second trip, I believe, to East Palestine. 
Um, you know, I'm very happy for Lonnie that her and her family have been able to uh, actually, you know, they, they managed to get a second mortgage, although she says she's, you know, they're unsure of how they're even going to be able to pay for it. Um, definitely a lot of stress uh, surrounding this move. They haven't sold their initial house yet. Um, so, but she knows that she's making the right decision for her and her family uh, to have to get out of there. Um, absolutely horrific, horrific stuff at this point. Um, I did see a comment that is frustrating that a lot of people kind of have been putting out. Uh, East Palestine voted 85% for Trump. Um, I don't know exactly where you're getting out with that, Henry, but uh, last I checked, the United States government under Joe Biden has sent, I don't even know how many billion dollars to Ukraine. We've spent, I don't even know how many billion dollars on insert your military defense contract for this or that or whatever, but we can't even take care of our own people who are Americans, regardless of who they voted for, in our own country. We just, like, leave them to fend for themselves because we... Because what? Trump did roll back railroad regulations, yes. But... Before the East Palestine derailment, do you know who was president for two years? Do you know who had control of the Senate and the House for two years? Last I checked, that was Democrats. Last I checked, Joe Biden was president. What has he done to try to prevent accidents like this from happening? The answer is nothing. He has done nothing. So sure, you can complain that, yes, these people voted for Donald Trump, and I don't blame them in a lot of cases. What were the Democrats offering these people? Nothing. Donald Trump, you know, whether or not he actually followed through on his promises, which he didn't, he spoke to people who were in the, you know, middle class, lower middle class in Appalachia and places that have been forgotten in the United States, places that Democrats never even go to, to go campaign in. Democrats never go there. They don't even try to get those voters. They don't correct the mistakes from the Republicans, right? The train regulations are just one thing. Joe Biden had two years and Democrats had control of both branches of government to try to do something about this, and they didn't. They did not. I don't care who these people voted for. I don't care if, you know, if something else happens again in the future and 100% of the people voted for Trump. Who the hell cares? They are Americans. If we can take care of people in other countries, we can absolutely take care of our own. I'm not saying that we shouldn't spend money in other countries to help where there are issues and whatnot, but come on. Ridiculous. It's disgusting. <sighs> I lost my train of thought there. Um, all right. Uh, we've got a couple other clips here we're going to get through. Um, the next one here, uh, also from this event, uh, we've got Lori. Lori actually lives over the Pennsylvania line. She has been dealing with all sorts of health symptoms as a result of this. Colin, go ahead and play that clip. I read to them, this is my family's life from February 3rd to August 14th. 90 days of excruciating, unexplained muscle pain, multiple doctor visits in excess of 30, multiple prescriptions, six antibiotics, three steroids, one Zofran for my daughter who can't stop puking. 10 puking episodes, multiple missed days of work. 
This was followed by one ultrasound, one mammogram, one biopsy, one five, one surgery, one five centimeter mass, and two lymph nodes. Four nurse visits, five trips to follow up doctor's appointments, seven more to go. And oncology is yet to come, which starts the end of this month. You want facts, you want numbers. Our vinyl chloride results in my household 3.4 miles from this derailment. Reach out to me on Facebook if you need to talk, I will listen. I'll be in and out because of course my husband who has now had cancer and a double mastectomy um, is facing uh, chemotherapy treatment. So I will be a little tied up with him at times, but I will get back to you. And again, the EPA will not do testing in her home, in her yard. Um, I noticed Colin, I think it was Colin, put it in the comments as well. Another thing Biden has done to essentially hurt railroad regulations was stopping the railroad strike, okay? So in addition to all of that, Henry, you've got Biden squashing the railroad strike. One of their big concerns was safety, okay? Uh, plenty to go through there. I missed that one, though. Thank you, Colin, or if that was you who dropped it in the chat there. Ridiculous. Um, and, and ridiculous the situation that Lori is also in. Again, people are still dealing with health consequences from this, right? And it, it ebbs and flows. Some people haven't dealt with them the whole time. Some people dealt with them in the beginning and are, are you know, maybe becoming more accustomed to it and it's changing. The next person that we're going to hear from here, uh, she actually, uh, I spoke with her at length after the live stream. Uh, we also did a longer interview after the live stream, but we, uh, her name's Chris. We spoke quite a bit after the event. Um, hopefully the next time we're in East Palestine, we'll be able to sit down with her again. Um, for the first two months of this, she actually felt mostly fine. And she was almost in the camp of, you know, Norfolk Southern is making it right. Uh, she didn't know why people were complaining about health concerns. And then she started having them herself. And obviously now understands what a lot of folks are going through. And I think that this is an interesting, uh, you know, an, an interesting perspective on all of this. So uh, let's go ahead and play the last clip here from East Palestine with Chris. So I started getting sick in April when it started, when we started having all this rain. My basement floods. Well, now my roof has been leaking since April. Insurance won't pay to fix my roof, you know, whatever. But I started getting sick. I get these rashes, which I have. I have one here. I have it on my leg. My eyes burn. I have that burning in my mouth. The headaches. I get these really bad sweating spells to where they smell like chemicals. Dr. Chai is my chiropractor, and I've been seeing him since 2010. He said, you have, I, I had a swing spell in his office where I was soaked. And he said, Chris, as long as I have been treating you, you've never had a smell. He said, and this smells like a chemical smell. My grandkids come over, they're fine. The next morning, they're congested. They're complaining of stomach problems. Um, the other night, I woke up soaked in sweat. I thought my house was on fire. I jump up. And I'm running to the house. I have two of my grandkids there. And my oldest is 10. And she's like, what is going on? I said, I think the house is on fire. So she's running through the house with me. And then she's like, Natty, that's you. You smell like something burning or you know, something. And I went to EPA a couple weeks ago to see if they would come test my home. And they will not. I'm, I'm like right outside the one mile on West Martin. I have a picture of that stuff going over my house. 
the day of the explosion. And I'm just, I'm tired of being sick and no, and getting nowhere. And the dog just keeps saying, well, we can't say it's from the derailment. But we understand, but we can't say it's from the derailment. We have no proof. We have no way. And I was just at the doctor yesterday with all the stuff. And no, it was today. I'm sorry. I went there today, down there in town. Same thing. We can't rule. We can't determine if it's from. I didn't start getting sick till April when all this rain. My basement leaks. Now my roof is leaking. And I just think I'm just so. Like, it's just, I know it's in my home because I never got sick until all this rain started. And I'm just at my wit's end. I don't know where else to go. And, like, I've only been in that home for four years. And it's just, I'm just tired. So, again, the the unfortunate situation. I mean, you can hear the pain in some of these people's voices of just like mentally being beaten down from this just i mean they've been dealing with this for six months and nobody is helping them nobody um it's it's a disgrace that we allow this to happen in our country um there's not much else to say about it um, I do want to clue you all in on a little bit of, of new work that I'm working on as far as uh, trying to do some additional digging in East Palestine. Um, about two weeks ago, we released a story on Substack. Uh, Colin, you can go ahead and pull that up. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the East Palestine mission accomplished. Norfolk Southern aims to cut off funding for residents' temporary relocation with flimsy home cleaning program. Um, uh, I will drop the link to that in here if you haven't, uh, if you haven't read that yet. Um, but uh, kind of building on some of that reporting, um, we I've been digging into uh, the reasons why the EPA uh, has, you know, continued to stand behind their residential air testing that happened back in February and March, which is allowing them to justify doing this flimsy home cleaning program that is ongoing in East Palestine right now. Uh, the TLDR for folks who don't fully understand or don't, don't aren't up to speed on it um, right now. Norfolk Southern with uh, with the EPA have offered a a home cleaning program where they will go into your home, they will dry dust your walls and fans, and wipe your countertops with a wet wipe and vacuum your carpets for you, uh, and then say that it is safe to move back into your home without doing any indoor air screening without doing any actual like chemical decontamination. And after that is done, it is understood that you will move back into your home and your temporary relocation will no longer be needed. Um, we've got, I mean, done a lot of reporting over the last several months, including, you know, information from several experts on the record, off the record, you know, folks with PhDs, college professors, all the lot, uh, saying that this indoor air testing uh, is inaccurate. Um, they were using these photoionization detectors. There are several research studies that highlight all of the flaws of those devices. Those devices are essentially meant uh, for an industrial setting to make sure there are not like levels of chemicals that are going to kill you after spending 15 minutes in the room. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you get the point. Not for uh, being in your home all the time. So uh, the EPA was discrediting a researcher from Purdue University 
who has been saying that this indoor air testing is not credible. Credible, uh, The EPA, when I asked them why this researcher, why his research was essentially being discredited by the EPA, uh, they said that he wasn't providing all of the details. Um, this is Dr. Andrew Welton, for those of you who are frequent viewers of the show. Uh, I have now collected all of the information that had been essentially redacted from what Dr. Welton had provided the EPA. Um, essentially, there was a resident who wanted to remain anonymous, um, who when Dr. Welton submitted the stuff to the EPA, uh, he had to redact this person's name uh, as well as their address. Because of that, uh, the EPA has essentially been able to discredit this information. Um, I met with this person on my first day in the trip in East Palestine. She wouldn't do an in-person interview, but she is okay with her name and everything being shared now. Um, we will be putting together a story on this. I'm currently putting together some very specific questions for the EPA. Uh, I am going to wait for their response to it. Um, and that was the missing link for why the EPA was no longer, uh, was not taking these results seriously. Um, in these results, we see elevated levels of VOCs that are far above the levels that the EPA slash Norfolk Southern indoor air testing program found back in February. Uh, these tests were literally done like two days apart, um, which is pretty unbelievable that the independent or that the independent testing, which was much more thorough, um, uh, was so much more elevated than the kind of BS test done with the photoionization detector. Uh, so VOCs were higher. We also had uh, butyl acrylate higher uh, and actually above the level of concern in the independent test. Uh, we also had elevated levels of, of formaldehyde. Uh, not necessarily above the level of like being very high and scary and dangerous. Um, I am still talking with a toxicologist to better understand this, but um, I've been talking about formaldehyde for months. Um, if you've heard my indoor air screening rant before you've heard me talk about it, um, the this is one of the first areas where I've on paper actually seen a test for formaldehyde done. And guess what? They found it. Um, that's a major red flag. So definitely stay tuned for some of this. Uh, thank you for mentioning VOC as volatile organic compounds there. Um, so stay tuned though. We're definitely gonna be putting out more on this. I'll be curious uh, what the EPA's response is. Again, I'm, I'm finishing up putting together uh, a list of questions for them. So hopefully end of this week, beginning of next week, uh, we will have that for you all. Um, with that, I am gonna start to wrap this up. So I'm gonna read some super chats. Uh, it looks like we've got a couple. So if you wanna leave a super chat still, chances now to do it. Uh, first, I'm actually going to go ahead and read. I see we had a private chat here. We had a tip uh, from Richard Wolf, five bucks. Uh, thank you, Richard, for that. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, we have 10 bucks from Presence. Uh, fuck Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, rehashed Reagan BSer. Uh, there you go. Presence, again, I, I, I'm not a, not a fan of his politics either, but I do think he is probably going to be the smoothest communicator on the stage tonight for the debate. Um, but yeah, not, not a fan of, of any of these guys' politics on the stage. Uh, thank you for the super chat presence. Uh, we've got another one here, five Canadian from Emily Sigmund. Vivek handled that conversation by just talking over the interviewer. I don't know about you, but it inspired me to just tune him out. Um, I, I mean, he might've talked over her a little bit, but at the same time, those were some pretty loaded, uh, she was putting words in, in his mouth for some of the questions. I thought that he handled it fairly well. I mean, there is a little bit of sparring here between them. 
Um, but, you know, maybe he talked over her a bit. I don't know. Uh, either way, Emily, thank you so much for the five Canadian. We appreciate it. And thanks for watching from up in Canada. Uh, we've got another one here from Charlie Kelly. 20 bucks. Thank you so much, Charlie. We appreciate that so much. Uh, Dasbosch Fleisch. 599 euros. I remember people in Germany protesting the transport of depleted fuel rods through the country. At least they didn't devastate entire towns. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty freaking disgusting at this point what's happening in East Palestine and how long it has gone on. Um, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of other tragedies going on across the country right now, but that one has been wholly ignored. Um, I also think that, you know, I saw a couple comments in the chat from Maui, you know, talking about Maui earlier. There's a lot of issues in Maui. Uh, it's, uh, it's, um, sorry. Uh, yeah, lot, lots of issues going on in Maui. Um, that disaster response was seemingly handled poorly. Um, you know, there's a lot of nuance there. I'm not going to get into all of it, uh, as we're kind of wrapping this sort of thing up, but, uh, we'll see ultimately, um, you know, where these things sort of go. It seems like, in the United States, we're all just going to kind of, like, let this continue to happen? I don't know. Um, I'm not seeing a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of pushback at this point. I'm not seeing our legislators do anything. I mean, I'm seeing the residents in East Palestine and some groups of people really trying to get this out there. But your regular everyday person has no, you know, they're not thinking about this anymore because the media is not covering it anymore. That event that I showed some of those clips from East Palestine in, the only media outlets there were us and PBS sent one person. PBS, public broadcasting. The local news were all notified. No local news station even sent someone there. None. They're done talking about it. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, it sucks, but it seems like a lot of people are just kind of moving on and... Um, yeah, it's, it's not great. And yeah, I'm seeing some comments. This is going to keep happening. I agree. Um, so anyway, all that being said, um, you know, uh, some of you sound like you might not be looking forward to watching the debate tonight, even though I don't agree with the candidates on stage. I'm actually looking forward to watching it. Um, if you watch it, uh, I might be a little bit behind, actually, because I've got something I need to go to between then and there. But uh, I'll, I'll definitely put some thoughts out on Twitter. I'm sure Jordan will be talking about some of it tomorrow. Um, thank you all so much for watching, though. Thanks for all the super chats tonight. Uh, very much appreciate it. Uh, we will uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Jordan should be back here tomorrow. If not, definitely know that we're going to have some good content for you. Still a lot of interviews coming from East Palestine that have not been posted yet. Uh, everybody, have a nice night. We'll see you all soon.